comment. Well, um, in our in our day, in our generation, we uh, we are constantly discussing and having conversations on the subject of mental health and taking care of your mental health at maybe an unprecedented rate, um, at least in, in, in modern Western history. Um, so the idea that taking care of your own mind and your, your, your mental state is not purely something that is reserved for extreme cases, right, of, say, a mental breakdown or a mental illness, but that just, or something that you put off till you have one of those, uh, but that there is um, a lot to be said for just actively being concerned for the health and the state of your mind. And in many ways, that has been a positive thing and has provided a helpful corrective, even for the church, uh, who uh, sometimes we've misunderstood the nature of mental health. So concepts like, uh, you know, self-care and your safe space and your happy place and knowing yourself and your own physiology and trying to manage anxieties and being overwhelmed and so on. Uh, but you know, as I was reading this passage and the, the verse in particular that I want to draw your attention to, to try and capture something of the beauty of the story before us this morning, it struck me that the Christian faith has always, uh, at least as represented in the scriptures, has always spoken about this need that human beings have for a, a deep rest, a deep place of peace and safety um, that is not purely physical or outwardly, that is within. And I guess that's one of the things is mental health. Mental health is dealing with, it's, it's dealing with our physiology, our bodies, but you know, our brains and minds are, are, are not as visible as the physical parts, as the, the outward parts, sorry. It, it, it takes you inside. I mean, the scripture's teaching is that there's, somewhat, there's somewhere even deeper, if you want, than just the mind and the body. That um, the soul, and now there's a, there's a strange, complex overlap between how the mind and the body express the deeper feeling of the soul. But that there's a soul. It's not just the body that needs rest, but that the soul needs rest. And the scriptures have always spoken about this. And in similar terminology, for example, to what we might see in modern science as we speak about providing rest for the mind and, as I say, your happy place or a safe space. Or the Bible can speak about Christians knowing God as a safe refuge. Right? God is our refuge. God is our resting place. Jesus Christ says, come unto me, all ye that labor, and I give you rest. Don't be anxious for anything. Um, there is a rest for the soul that only God can give, right, um, deeper than what ment mental health, positively, rightly, we're told to take care of that, and thank we're thankful for the medical profession and all of that, but there's a deeper rest the soul needs. It's like, some, someone might tell you that to deal with your anger, you, you should breathe, breathe, breathe in, take, a deep, take some deep breaths. That can be, if you've ever been angry, that can be helpful. You know, sometimes when my children have, they've, they've just run, run, run me ragged, I need to breathe a couple times so that I still have my job as a pastor. But there's something deeper than just my physiology when anger is showing itself. Something deeper than just me being able to take hold of the mind and the body. There's, there's something in my soul about who I am. 
And at that point, only God can truly give rest. God gives this rest. And so this morning, I want to look. I don't know if you've already sensed it. If you were late, you wouldn't have. But a particular verse that one commentator has described as one of the most beautiful pictures of divine care in all of Scripture. And I want to suggest to you that this verse kind of encompasses what is going on in this chapter and what the Spirit of God wants us to glean from these words in the Bible this morning. It's words that uh, Boaz speaks to Ruth in verse 12. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Here it is. Under whose wing you have come to take refuge. That the Christian is a person and Ruth is symbolic of what the Christian is, someone who has taken refuge. You see, we have under the wings of God. We have our resting place in God. Now, quickly, just to remind you of where we are at this point uh, of, of the book of Ruth. Last week, we looked at, we, in the past two weeks, we've seen Ruth and her mother, mother-in-law arrive in Bethlehem after the tragedy that befell them in their, in, 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 well, Ruth's homeland and where Naomi was one time residing. By the time they arrive, right, these are very um, uh, broken women. They are hurt women. They're in so much pain uh, and um, in so much bitterness, as Naomi says. Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. But even if it's true, as we saw last week, that Naomi was confused, maybe discouraged, what we sensed, right, in Ruth's words is that regardless, they had finally committed themselves to put in their trust in God alone who could deliver them. So things were very bad, but they had no other choice but to hope in God. In fact, things were so bad that their only hope was in God. Um, and, and Ruth, right, typified that with her profound statement of devotion. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God be my God. Now, Ruth has arrived now in Bethlehem, this foreigner. She's a foreigner. She's from Moab, and she's really a foreigner. She's like a, uh, she's like a go back to where you came from kind of foreigner. Like, they don't really like her like that. They don't like, Moabite, they don't really like the Moabites. They're not in good spirits at all. Uh, she's, a, she's a woman, in particular at those days, and women, women will say that they can still... Um, they can still, it still resonates with them, but especially in those days, even worse perhaps, um, a woman was, was, was seen as inferior and was vulnerable unless she had a husband, sons, family that would protect her. All Ruth had was a, another, another uh, a mother-in-law, another woman like herself, another woman in a vulnerable position. She was poor. You know, sometimes some women at least could maintain their status in society because they had wealth. She was poor. So everything about Ruth it puts her in a desperate position. Uh, and yet, they have to live and survive. So chapter 2 starts with how they're planning, how are we going to survive, how are we going to make it? And, and Ruth, um, Ruth steps out in faith into the world, this bitter, terrible world, trusting that God will see her through. He says in verse 1, let me go to the field and glean. She was going to... Um, she was going to live as poor people did in those times, um, in an agricultural society like that, in harvest season. God himself had actually commanded the people of Israel that when, when, you, when, you, um, when you take your harvest, leave some things for the poor. 
when you gather your grains, if you're gathering your grain at harvest time, and some grain falls to the ground, don't pick it up. Because at least the poor can come back and they can, they can come and take that grain that's fallen down. God made provision for his people to take care for the, of the poor. You know, that's why God gives you and I provision. So we can take care of the poor. Stop, stop, stop saying to God, bless me to be a blessing. If you open doors, I will, no, 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 no. Help with what you have now. Though you can't trick God into making you a millionaire. Right? Serve people with what you have now. We have so much. I just know that. In the West, the UK, in London, we have so much. And very often we have people around us. Not even just going to apply to some overseas agency. Let's go. We have people around us in need. God wants us to help the poor, help each other. And God had made a, 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 uh, he'd made a, a plan for that. He said, listen, and, and so that's what Ruth goes to do. She goes to live the life of the poor by gleaning from, you know, a random field and hoping that she will find someone who would be uh, gracious to her. And that's what she finds. And in this chapter, in chapter 2, we're introduced to the third significant character in the book of Ruth, the man Boaz. I'm sure some of the men are happy today that there's a, we're going to find a, a redeemable man, a man who is a, a good example. Um... We're introduced to Boaz, and he's a he's a major, a major figure in this in the in the in the book. And eventually, he's a rich man, he's a wealthy man, and at the end of the story, he doesn't exploit Ruth's poverty. Imagine it has to be said. I'm going to say this again anyway, but it has to be said that powerful people exploit. When we have advantages over others, the tendency is to exploit and to oppress. It's what usually happens. Unless grace is at work in the heart. But here's a man who's not like any other. He is drawn to Ruth, even though she has nothing to offer him. She's a foreigner, she's a woman, she's despised, she's poor. And all he shows her is favor and grace and protection. And Ruth is amazed by this. But don't forget, Ruth is... Maybe I'm just kind of like making this up as well. It's maybe a reach, but it's a biblical reach. Ruth is a new believer, perhaps. She has only just come to know who the God of Israel is. She has only just come to know his ways. She's only just beginning to understand. And I believe that it's in that, in that new faith that she steps out. It's in that new faith that she says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust God and he will keep me. Let me go, Naomi. I know I'm a foreigner. Oh, what great faith. I know I'm a foreigner and... It's basically hopeless for me out here because Israel is not even in a good time. They're in a bad time, the time of the judges. But she steps out in faith because she knows that apparently this, your God is the God of the heavens, right? And he's powerful. When she meets Boaz, Boaz is not new to the faith. He's, a, he's born and bred in Israel. He knows this God. He knows what this God is like. And when Boaz shows her favor, and Boaz is kind to her, and Boaz... Um, speaks well to her. Ruth is amazed. She doesn't understand. She's, she's thankful to Boaz. She says, thank you for this. And we know what Boaz does. Boaz gives this new faith, this embryonic faith. He, he helps her to articulate what is actually going on. He says, Ruth, let me tell you what's happening to you. You are experiencing the covering of your God. He covers his people 
with his wings. Stop, Ruth. Just before you say thank you one more time, remember what's happening. You are under the wings of God. Ruth, I know you stepped out of the house and you were confused and afraid, but you stepped boldly. But the reason why you're here is because he covers his people and he carries them on his wings. And he lifts them. And ultimately, I'm not your provider because I know the one who provided for me. I know the one who's ultimately providing for you is your God. Your God keeps you under his wings. God is like a mother bird who offers his wing for protection to his defenseless, defenseless young, young chick. He covers, he protects them. Right? And, 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 and this then is a picture by which we ought to understand how God deals with his people. We are under his wings. If you're a Christian this morning, you are under the wings of God. What does that mean? So there's two points, two things I want to show you that draw to our attention from this text this morning. As I say, under that vital metaphor of being under God's wing. What does it mean for Ruth to be under God's wing? What does Ruth experience when she embarks in this desperate situation and she experiences the wonderful favor of, um, of meeting Boaz? And What are the things that happen to her? Let me, let me draw your attention to, the first, to, to a number of things. First of all, she has purpose. The sense of purpose. Don't forget Ruth, this poor woman. This, she's, she's in a foreign land. And if anyone could seem purposeless at this point, is Ruth. Like, what hope does she have? What's she going to achieve? Remember, Naomi had tried to say to her earlier, go back to Moab because I don't have, don't know how you're going to get married. And, you know, for, for the most part in this life, for, for a woman in those times, safety and Meaning in this life is, is really about having a home and children. I can't offer you that. Ruth had made the right decision and said, ultimately purpose comes from the Lord. And that's what God gives this woman. Great purpose. She stepped out purposefully. Let me go. But she couldn't have fully grasped um, the plans that God had for her. And this is how the writer to the writer, the narrator tries to capture this for us. In verse um, three of chapter two, he says, so she set out and went and gleaned the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. It's that phrase there, she happened to come. It's, a strange, it's strange to translate. He almost says something like, she was so lucky that all of a sudden she found herself in this particular plot of land, on this particular ground. That's where she found herself. Of course, the point he's making is, Ruth had no plan to be there, but the sovereign God of heaven did. Naomi says as much in the end. She could not have seen that that was God's plan for her life. She couldn't have seen that God had so much purpose in her misery, but he did. She couldn't have seen that it's nothing for God to just make you randomly choose that patch of land. There was many portions of land where Ruth would have been run off, where Ruth would have been harassed abused, God directed her to this particular plot because he had such a plan for her. He had his purposes for her and they would always be fulfilled. Her life had meaning. Even the wandering minutes that she spent and hours that she spent um, in, in, in a fragile way, looking for somewhere where she could serve, feeling unseen, feeling unimportant. All of that had purpose because she was 
under God's wings. If someone could have told Naomi that last chapter, maybe her, 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 her weeping wouldn't have been so severe, perhaps. There would be tears, but maybe the tears wouldn't be that better. Um, at least they wouldn't be without hope. That Naomi, even in your tears, God can give you purpose. And ultimately, because you and I are under the wings of God, everything we are doing, everything we are going through has purpose, has meaning. Don't ever let someone tell you that you need to find your significance in some thing that you have or are going to attain in this life. Our significance comes from being under God's wings. The purposefulness of our life comes from knowing that God is using us to glorify himself. That God has given us this ultimate goal of being like him and knowing him and through us showing the world about Jesus Christ till one day we arrive at his throne. Glorious. Our lives are going to be glorious. There's purpose. It's too late for us to do anything but shine. It's too late for us to do anything but have something glorious. What Paul says is, people think they have glory in this world because they chase temporal, fleeting awards. Prizes that are here today and gone tomorrow. We have an eternal prize in view. The thing that Jesus Christ has given us is purpose. The thing that the risen Christ has given us is the assurance that one day darkness must give way to light. That one day Morning must give way to dancing and night must give way to morning. We have purpose. There's a meaning. God is glorifying himself in us. We're being made like King Jesus and that is purpose. And so there's not one thing I don't have that you can use to say to me that my life has no meaning. It's not, uh, it's not even, it's not, not some relationship not, some, not, not some, some tax bracket, not some possession that you can use to convince me that, the life, that life is meaningless. Because as long as I'm under his wings, as long as Christ is my savior, I have a purpose and the most glorious purpose of them all. Do you know that this morning? That even though you don't deserve it, you have this glorious life. You're living a life of glory because Jesus died and rose again. There is purpose in every single thing. There is meaning in every single pain, every single failure, every single regret, every single lack, every single loss, every single delay. There is purpose. And there's a song that we sing sometimes, and the hymn writer says, for this I have Jesus. Under his wings, I've got so much purpose. Can't be empty, Naomi. We are full. Even though we can't see it, but we have been filled. There's purpose. There's provision. I need to run. Everything here is so rich. If I sit here and talk about it with you, we'll be here. We'll just stay till 5.30. Maybe I'll do that. We'll send you guys to the guild. We'll come back. There's provision. There's provision. God provides for this destitute woman. How is Ruth going to make it? But by the time she gets back home from going to feast like the poor and glean like the poor, 
he comes back with the kind of grain that even the rich aren't boasting of. God provides for her in the most miraculous way. God made a way where there seemed to be no way. He supplies all our needs. Ruth had no, believe me, she had no helper. There was no one who was by her side. All she had was Naomi. Naomi, when she says, no, let me go out, the implication is Naomi knew it wasn't safe for this young woman to go out and try and get provision. She understood the, the, the time she was in. And in a sense, Naomi says to her, you, you go and, and may God be with you. But you don't know how powerful a truth that is. When we're under God's wings, when God is with us, we lack no good thing. The psalmist says, I was young and now I am old. I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his children begging for bread. To be under his wings means that God will provide. Ruth, you might not know where it will come from. You, you don't know how it will happen. And I understand that with your own mortal eyes you, and your, your human vision, you can't see how you will get through this. But under his wings, his children lack no good thing. He's able. He provides. He owns this whole world. And he supplies his children's needs according to his riches in glory. Your heavenly father knows what you need before you ask him. So children of God, we ought not to live in anxiety because we are afraid of tomorrow. We should be at rest. We should smile because our Father will provide everything we need. We trust him and we don't be afraid. I'm not saying that the economists or the, the politicians are lying when they say the cost of living crisis is going to be costing. I'm not, I believe them. I, I believe. But they're not my God and he will provide. He will open doors for you. He will take care of you. You can trust him. He doesn't leave his people. Now, I'm not saying that God always gives his people, makes him, his people rich. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel to you. I didn't ask you to, I'm not asking you to sow a seed because that seed will just go to, it'll go to maybe I'll get like a new car, a new jacket or something. There's no, there's, I'm not saying that's how God works. It's God's, it's God's design and his sovereignty to give some people riches. It's God's prerogative. Ultimately, it's God who makes rich. But he doesn't necessarily make all his children rich. But he supplies their needs. And the Bible calls us to, to know contentment, not to be greedy, but to always know that God will provide. Ultimately, as well, because we know that he did not spare his own son, but he gave him up for us all. And so with him, he will graciously give us all things. God will provide your physical needs, but more than that, he has provided all you need to be at peace with him. Provided you the grace you need. Grace. There's a, there's a hymn we sing that says, My open sins, my secret sins, can all forgiven be. God has provided you and I the grace we need to know that our sins will be covered. And so when you come to, when you come to trust Jesus for salvation, what do you trust in? You trust in his provision. God has provided a way. Nothing, we're not looking to ourselves. We're looking to the great provider. God has provided all that I need. I don't know what your sins are this morning. I don't want to know. Same way you don't want to know mine. 
You guys look so beautiful. Sins make you look so ugly. It's a real thing. If I saw you at your worst, if I saw you, or if you saw me when we did that great sin, when we have done that most despicable thing, the thing that makes us look, the thing that shows our wrong desires is an ugly thing. It's not a beautiful thing. That's why you shouldn't, don't be proud. You're very fine. You're very handsome. You're very pretty. Don't be proud about it. Because you know there's a deeper, within there is a deeper ugliness that lies in all of us that should let us know that we're not better than anyone else. But there is someone who provides grace for all my sins. There's someone who takes all my shame. Provider, great provider. And he provides me with grace. And that's why Christians can be bold before the throne of grace. And that's why we can pray. And that's why we're free to worship because he provides. My God is a great provider. Under his wings, I'm provided for in every way that I need. The other thing that you see in this passage quite clearly, that Boaz says to Ruth, this is what it means to be under the wings of the God who sent Jesus Christ. It's protection. You can't miss it, right? Over and over again in this passage, Ruth experiences the protection of God. The first time when Boaz meets her, Boaz says to his, his, his workers, the men who glean his land, he says, no one should harass this woman. Right? Isn't it, isn't it a sad indictment? All these centuries ago, and women are still having to be concerned for the harassment from men. In 2022, that advice would be still uh, at home, still, still, still right, still right. Right? Don't let everyone ever tell you that uh, men haven't perpetuated great injustices against women. This is all the way in the time of, of Ruth, and Boaz knows it. That you have a young woman, vulnerable, without protection, without someone to defend her, and men, wicked men, will be there to try and take advantage and so he has to tell his own men. It's not because she's a woman. In particular here, it's because she's a foreigner. And so with a foreigner, they assume she has no one to go to for defense anyway. What a sad thing to have to think about. Um, but although Boaz did step up for her and defend her and say, no one should not only harass her or touch her, no one should even speak evil to her. Don't speak to her the way you would speak to her, as if she would, the way you speak down to foreigners. Don't say to her, go back to where you came from. Don't say that to her. Um, but ultimately, it was God who was protecting her. It was God who put Boaz there at the right time to be a shield for his child. And God protects his, I guess that's the big picture of his wings. They are wings of protection. And you know that, brothers and sisters, that because we're God's children, we are protected. No one can lay a finger on us if God doesn't allow it for some reason. Um, this world will never be a safe place. Don't, don't believe that. It's not true. We should try to make the world safe, but ultimately, this world is doomed, ultimately, until God renews it. And so until Christ comes, this world will always be full of danger. And ultimately, then, our hope is not in civilization. 
uh, hope is not in advanced technology, education. Those things are good, but they're not going to fix the world. They're not going to fix the heart. Um, our safe place ultimately is under his wing. God is the one who protects you. God will shield you. Do you know that when you wake up, when you, when you as a woman step into the world, you are safe under your father's wings. He will keep you. He will protect you, protect your body. He will protect you from evil. Most importantly, God protects our soul. Because all the CCTV in this world and all the police cannot keep Satan out. Only God can keep us from Satan's assaults on the soul. And he does. He'll keep us. You know, Satan, Satan is, the Bible says he's going to and fro. He's busy trying to accuse us, trying to confuse us. Sometimes I've seen so many people fall by the wayside. I've seen so many people who confess Jesus turn away from him, buy into some lie, deceive themselves so that they can start deceiving others. And, and I wonder, how do I know I'm going to be steadfast? Because it's not, I've been a Christian for, I don't know, 15, 16 years. Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure now. What's, what's 2005? Oh, that was for someone else. That's not me. I'm, I'm, I'm not that old, so let's move on. I've been a Christian for a while now, but it's, it's not long enough, right? Whatever it is. If it's 17 years, and that means I was like six, seven at the time. It's not long enough, right? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not long enough. I, I, I don't know how long I'm going to live, but I have to make it to the end. You could be a Christian for 40 years, 50 years. It's the one who endures to the end that will be saved. And Satan is busy. There's a, there's a song I used to say, Satan is busy. He's always inventing new strategies, new approaches. If the, the family angle doesn't work, he will take the gender angle. If the gender angle doesn't work, political angle. If political angle doesn't work, economic. He's just, how do I know I will be steadfast through all these assaults? Because God protects. I'm under his wings. You know, it was uh, Peter that says that we are kept by God's power. Kept by God's power. And I thought about it this morning, and I, I said with confidence, I'm going to withstand all of Satan's temptations. I'm going to be here. I don't know how long I'll live. I'm telling you, 60, if I live 40, 50 years' time, I'm going to be here confessing that Jesus is Lord. I hope, you're, I hope you're praying for yourself, so not just for me, but yeah, we'll be here, because God is, God is protecting his people. He protects us. We're under his wings. And the last thing is grace. Ultimately, Ruth speaks, over and over again, she speaks about the favor she's experienced. She's saying this to Boaz, you've shown me favor. But ultimately, that is it's God who shows her favor. Verse 12, she said, I have found favor in your eyes. Her, her point is, the good things that are happening to me, I don't deserve them. That's what it means to be under the wings of God. That's why even though God lifts us under his wings, we're not lifted up to the point of being prideful or boastful because our ascent is undeserved. I can't boast. Every time I see and we look and I'm raised by the wings of God and I see those who are low and I say, what's the difference between me and them? 
There's only one answer. It's grace. So I can only boast if I'm a liar. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Is the song of the man or the woman under his wings. The grace of God that comes free to us, but has a cost. A priceless cost to God. Because he sent his only begotten son. But I think there's an old gospel song that you say, Jesus paid it all. He paid the price so that I can know God's grace. And today we stand under his wings. Not because we were looking for him, brothers and sisters. It's not because of how hard we cried. It's not because of how strong our, our resolution was. Today we're going to baptize a few people. And I want to hear them say, I, I, I've decided I want to follow Jesus with all my life. When all is said and done, they're under his wings, not because of that resolution, but because of God's grace. And when we're under his wings, you know what you have, my brothers and sisters? You have grace. You have grace that covers all your sin. You have grace that will always raise your head up, lift your head. Even when it's your own failings that have brought it down, he will raise that head again. You have grace not to be bound by sin, not to be uh, under the dominion of sin. You have grace to live for God. You have the grace of Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be under his wings, is to have received God's grace, to realize that we are sinners who don't deserve anything, but God has given us everything because he gave us his son. We're under his wings. This is my second point, and, the, and almost the application of the text. Boaz gives us this vital interpretative thought. Ruth, I'm the one who has, yes, I'm the one in a sense who has told you you can glean from my field. Ruth, I'm the one who has given you the sense of purpose in, in one way. I'm the one who has provided for you. I'm the one who's protecting you now and saying no one touch her. I'm the one who is showing you favor because in a sense, yes, you haven't earned the right if you want to glean my field. I'm the one who has done that in a, in a kind of, in an in a indirect sense, in a limited sense, but ultimately, it's God who's done it. He's the one who deserves the praise. You're under his wings. But what does it mean for the fact that Boaz is the mediator of this goodness to Ruth? It just reveals a complementary, if you want, biblical truth, that those who are under the wings of God, he also calls to provide wings for others. God has this strange way of acting with his people that they become an extension of his wings. So it's ultimately God who provides covering. It's ultimately who God, who God who provides purpose and provision and protection and grace. But when we are under his wings, he then calls us to provide purpose, provision, protection, grace for others. I'm saying you can know that someone is under God's wings by the way they provide covering for others. Is that what's happening in your life? That's how we know if you're under God's wings. Because grace is now flowing out from you. We ought to be people who in the way we live, we are offering other people rest and peace of mind because of how we live. God is using us to cause other people to flourish. And that's what Boaz was, right? Boaz was a man 
who, because he was under God's wings, he was used to shield and to provide covering for Ruth. Now, I don't like to preach the book of Ruth as though it's a, it's a, it's a textbook on courtship and dating. It's not. I'm sure there's helpful things to say from it. But Ruth, when Ruth set out, she wasn't looking for love. She's not trying to fall over, she wasn't trying to fall over hills. Into, she wanted to fall into a land where she can be fed, right? So be very careful there. This, is not, you know, this book is not trying to help you say whether you should go to Starbucks tomorrow with that person. It's, it's not what Ruth is for. But there are some, but, it, but, but it's true that Boaz is the picture of a good man. Now, I'm very sympathetic to the statement that, that people have said, that people say sometimes, men are trash. I, I understand where it comes from. But there's always a Boaz. There's always a diamond in the rough. So there's always some diamond in that trash. Right? So there's a Boaz. So listen, sisters, there's a, there's, there's a Boaz out there. Don't, be, don't, be, don't, be, uh, don't let the world steal all your hope. Say, there's no men. men don't even talk. There's some, there's, you can find a Boaz. Ruth stumbled upon a Boaz by God's grace. There's Boaz. There's, there's men out there that will respect a woman and will love a woman and uh, will see a woman, know that women are their equals. Um, no, no perfect men, but no perfect woman either. You know, so don't, 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 go, don't, don't, don't say you're not going to see that guy anymore because he's not a social, he's not an activist. Right, you say, he doesn't, he doesn't acknowledge every, okay, he's, not, he's learning, you learn. Teach him how to, teach him to fight. Teach him to understand certain things, right? But there's Boazes out there. On the flip side, don't settle for nonsense. Don't let this guy tell you, oh, that's just how men are. All men are just, all just useless. So, I mean, just manage me. No, 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 he's lying. Tell him, Ruth chapter 2, there's a Boaz. Why can't you change, right? Um, he said, you can find good men. And uh, I'm very proud to say that there's Boazes in, I've, I've, there's many Boazes in HRC. Amen? Loads of Boazes in HRC. Yes, yes. Anyway. But Boaz is a picture, of course, not just for men to women, but for believers. We should be Boazes in a sense. God wants us to extend his grace. Let me, let me, let me say those same things about what God does to us about Boaz. Boaz helps Ruth have a sense of purpose. Because he raises her dignity. He doesn't treat her as though she's inferior because she's a woman or because she's a foreigner. You know those lies that would have made Ruth feel like she was inferior? Maybe she was more intelligent. She clearly was more hardworking than any of the men in that field. Clearly had more integrity. And yet they would say things to try and impugn her dignity and make her feel like she was inferior. Uh, 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 Boaz raised this woman's dignity. He spoke well to her. Words of truth. He gave her a sense of purpose. He, he made her realize, I was made, for, I was made for the glory of God. I was made with dignity. Is that how we treat those around us? Do we give them a sense of being dignified? Because they are made in the image of God. Words, the misogyny does not dignify people. It puts them down. It, it, it denies that women are made in the image of God. Racism doesn't. Uh, affirm the dignity of people. It makes them seem inferior, even though God has made them in, in, his, in his image. How do you treat other people? How do you treat people who you have power over? With dignity? Do you, do, you, do you give them a sense of purpose? Or do you exploit them? Do you use them? Some of us, I don't know, some of you might have, you might have a company or a business that you run, 
I don't know who taught you. Maybe someone has taught you some kind of um, some God-forsaken model of work that says you can treat people like they are things. That you can step on people because they work for you and you can speak to them without courtesy. Listen, you, will, you, you are claiming that you don't want to be covered by the wings of God. You are forgetting that you are where you are because God carried you by his wings. And he can drop you when he pleases. Christians should never be known as those who abuse anyone who God places over them. Because you have some power over someone. And, and now you treat them as though they're less than you. You talk down to them. You show no respect to them. I'm not a businessman. I could care less. There's no explanation of business that should make me think, that would make me agree that it's right for you to treat another human being as though they were lesser than you. That's why it's, a, it's always been a painful thing to me when I realized historically churches would have politicians come here. Politicians whose hands are stained with blood not saying all of them, but many of them, who have oppressed people, who have exploited people, would come to church on a Sunday and be given the front seat and be allowed to address the congregation with their filthy hands to address the congregation when the church is to be a place that stands up for righteousness and says that you never have a right to strip another man or a woman of their dignity. Treat people with the sense that God has a purpose for them. And it's not just in sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is vital. And yes, you should share the gospel. You want to share the gospel with your gay or your homosexual um, co-worker. But you have to treat him with dignity first. You, how are you going to share the gospel with him when you see him and you find it hard to even talk to this person? You have no respect. Um, you join the, the, the crowd and, and the world in, in, in mocking or in, in, in treating that person as inferior to you. That's another person made in the image of God. How are we? Do we raise people's sense of dignity and worth? He provided for her, of course. How are we doing with our material things? Are we sharing with others? Do we have this instinct that the things I have are not made for my, are not just for me? Or, or do we join the world in buying new things? All, all we ever do is buy new things. Buy, 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 buy. And you don't, you don't share with others. We don't seek out the needy. Stop saying you don't have enough money. You're not looking for people to help. That's, that's the thing. For the most part, we're just not, we're, our hearts don't think that way. We don't think, well, who can I help? Who can I support? Who can I share with? It's not that we don't have enough. It's that we want too much. But we were meant to provide for others. And obviously not just physically or financially, but mentally and emotionally. We, 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 we're meant, we, God has provided for us. We provide for others when he calls us to. We protect others. As you saw here, Boaz standing up for Ruth protecting her, and we're meant to be a shield to people as well when we can. Very often, the reason why people don't protect others is because they're cowardly. And cowardly. Cowardliness comes from feeling like we're exposed, exposed ourselves. But when we know that we're under God's wings, and then we stand up and we're brave, we stand up and we declare what's true, and we, we, we declare what's just, and, we, and as much as we can, we... We, if God calls us to, we, we protect others. We protect a safe place for them. And um, the church should be safe. And your home as a Christian should be safe. And I think of the history of abuses in this world. And I think some of those abuses have happened in the church. And some of those abuses have happened in homes. And it should never be said of the church of Jesus Christ. People should say, I was saying this last week, I think I said, Sometimes people grow up in the church and leave. 
but they should be saying, yeah, I left the church, but I was safe there. Some people leave the church, yes, but they should look back and say, but they, they really did try to protect me. They really did try to shield me. And that should be your home. I don't know. I, I trust that this is the home, but I don't, know, I don't know what you're doing at home. Is your home safe? Are you making it safe for the people around you, for the God put under you, our children? Are our children safe in our homes? Are, we, are they protected? Or, 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 or are, they being, are their emotions being assaulted? Are their mental being assaulted? Or, or are we protected? We're meant to be extending the same grace that God has shown us. And that's it, it's grace. You know, um, Ruth says to, 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 to Boaz at one point, you spoke so kindly to me. You comforted me with your words, the way you addressed me. One of, the, one of the great ways that grace flows is from how we speak to people. Do people want to sit with you, hear from you? Are you lifting their spirits? Some of you, us, our tongue is so sharp. We're so quick to criticize. I'm not saying there's not a place for admonition and rebuke. Of course there is. And, and we, should, we should stand up and speak the truth. But don't be someone who's only known for criticizing. I know some people, all I've ever heard them, all I know, they've only ever criticized. They criticize, 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 criticize. I've never heard them bless. I've never heard them say, that was amazing. You don't always have to tell someone what's bad. Life is so hard. Life is difficult for people. You don't know what people are going through. They, don't, they spend a few hours with you on a Sunday. You don't have to push them down more. Why, 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 would you, why, do you, why is that your job? You don't have to do that. Be a haven of rest. Let people be able to come and sit in your presence and feel relaxed for, because it's not going to be for long. After they've relaxed with you, they have to go back and stress. That's life, right? And we should be people who carry grace with us. Let me, correct, let me say again, I'm not saying there's not a place for genuine rebuke. And admi- of course, and if you're someone like me that doesn't like criticism, then you have to take it. Criticism is needed and Rebuke is needed. But friends, generally speaking, our lives must ooze grace. Right? When people are around us, they, they say this, I don't feel judged. I don't feel condemned. I want to be that kind of person. There's someone says, I don't feel condemned around this person. I'm not, I'm not being pretentious. I'm not hiding my true colors. I'm being who I am, but there's a grace that's flowing from them. There's a sense in which they're looking at me that I know they're not going to they're not going to condemn me or they're not going to leave here and gossip after me or slander after me. They're going to be there to help me. They want the best for me. Is that how we flow? Just a place that people can rest. Do we, can people, are people going to look back on their lives and say, you know, I made it this far because when I almost gave up at that point of the journey, God used you as my place of rest. When I was so tired and I nearly gave up, you were the one that God used to help me to recharge my battery, recharge my energy. What kind of atmosphere are you carrying? They call it toxic. Are you, is, it, is it a toxic atmosphere at home? Your husband is scared to come home now because as soon as he comes home, you're reading him the whole, he knows his, his stress. Your, your wife is, is just afraid to be around you because she knows your words are always biting, never kind. We should resist that kind of spirit if we are under God's wings. But glory be to Jesus Christ alone. Because human beings will ultimately fail. We, we do want to be wings for people. We do want to cover people, but our, our hands are not broad enough. But thank God there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. And when all is said and done, Boaz is a good example for us. But Boaz is pointing us to Jesus Christ, the only one who truly covers 
his people. And no matter how tough this world gets and how labored it gets, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. If we have run to Jesus for refuge, which I hope you've done, you've run to him, you've given him all your life, all its mess, all its, you've just given it to him. If you run to Jesus for refuge, you are safe under his wings. And nothing can pluck you from his hand. Amen.